Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. What's up, Brian? All right, I am starting the Skype recorder now. You want to kick us off? Yeah, I'll do it. Okay. Beyondo, Beyondo. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. What's up, Brian? Hey, hey, Bobby. Here we are. This is our 10th interview, actually. This is a seller... I don't want to give away your age, but it goes way back in our days of starting out, and we wanted to share some of his experiences. We have Gabe Biondo joining us on the show today, and he has known Brian and I throughout our careers. We were both at Microsoft, I believe, when we first met Gabe. Gabe, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So we have a lot to talk about today. Um, Most interviews, we talk about tips and tricks and things. We'll do a lot of that today. Uh, And then Gabe just published a book. We'll talk about that book and has some other exciting things coming in the future that you might all be interested in. Brian, when when did you first meet Gabe and do you have a story to tell about any of that? Yeah, back in the Microsoft days, for sure. Um, I, you know, the um, SHI reseller organization, um, one of the resellers for Microsoft um, had just launched a new team and, they took it by storm, really, um, which is probably a good segue to, to have Gabe kind of talk through where we got to know him uh, in his days at SHI. Because I think, Gabe, correct us if we're wrong, but you were one of the kind of leading guys to help kick off um, that organization in general. And I know you guys hit the Microsoft ecosystem pretty strong. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, to be completely transparent, I'd never heard of SHI before I even applied to him. Um, applied with them actually. Uh, I spent about nine years at Dell in Round Rock. I moved up from Houston in 99, um, randomly ran into a, a buddy of mine's father that worked at Compact at the time. Yeah. And I was looking for a sales job in the, in the Austin area. And so I went and spent eight and a half, nine years at Dell. There was a reduction in workforce. And at Dell, it's, it, it's pretty, pretty simple. You do inside sales, you do some form of specialty role, you become an inside sales manager, and then you bounce out to the field. So for nine years of my life, it was just, you know, kind of like ingrained in my brain that my next role was to be an account executive. And so I had tremendous experience being an inside sales manager and great success doing that as well as inside sales, but I never had field experience and I was having a lot of trouble finding a job. I got a lot of bait and switch, you know, Rackspace got me all the way down the path and said, look, I, I really need this regional manager, but it's an inside role. And for something, my brain was telling me, if I stay inside, I'm just going to stay inside. So I knew my next logical step was to, to carry a bag. And so I called, actually, uh, a guy named Kevin Bradley, we all probably know. We were playing poker one night. Um, he, was a, he was at Microsoft, and he said, hey, you know, this, this company, SHI, starting a corporate division. And so I was, I was the first account executive that they hired, and um, I'm glad – Glad that they hired me. Yeah, that was a fun ride back in the day. I, I, the explosion was amazing, and what happened in Houston when I was a sales manager at Microsoft, and, and how they grew and how they partnered uh, was something that I learned a lot from. So, 
Gabe, we always ask, you know, what what is one of your most proud personal accomplishments? That can either be work or outside of work. But as we talk about your background uh, in sales, what, what, what's one of your proudest personal accomplishments? It, you know, it's funny. I, I think of the, the most recent one for me is uh, I'm terrified of heights. Um, and so a buddy of mine said, let's go skydiving. And I just, I mean, in my brain, all the way up until me putting my first foot on the plane, I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm, I'll pay for it, but I'm going to back out. I don't care if they refund me or not. And in the plane, I was like, I'm not doing this. And I kept telling the guy, I'm not going to do this. And I'm like, you have to yell. It was a very small Cessna, not built for skydiving. There was only one seat and that was for the pilot. It felt like discount skydiving for all intents and purposes. <laughs> and well, and I know a little we bit about planes and that, that is a perfect plane for skydiving. I, I would I, I just happen <laughs> to know. <laughs> it didn't feel like it. it was very loud. And I've never had a door open inside of a, a plane like that. And, it, and, you know, things became very real. Well, that's, you know, that was one time. But when, as soon as my feet hit the ground, I wasn't over the fear. So really the, the proudest thing, I think, personally for me, this is outside of having children and getting them in college and all that other good stuff. That, but for me, it's, I immediately signed up for it again. And I gave myself two weeks. I didn't want to do it right away because the adrenaline was really high. So I signed up two weeks later so I could just brew on that fear. And, uh, and even going, the second time is even worse because now yeah, I'm, I'm a bit educated on the process. So now I get to worry about oh, are the clips securely fastened. Um, but something clicked when I was up there. I was like, look, I'm going to do this. I did this last time. I'm going to do it this time. And yeah, I'm afraid, but I'm going to do it anyway. And there was a little bit of a, a courage muscle that was built. So and that's, that's really in my most recent proudest moments uh, personally. I like it too. It, it has a lot of um, synonyms with the business that we all are part of. Um, engaging with new prospects and getting meetings set up can be um, – it may not be certainly like when you're in inside sales or when you move to that first outbound role for a lot of folks, that could be a, a scary time and you got to kind of put yourself out there. How do you, how do you think that personality trait of kind of uh, overcoming those fears? How do you think it impacted your career, both from an inside salesperson to an outbound account exec? Yeah, it, it rings true. And, and, you know, I, I didn't purposely bring up that proud moment as, as it translates to sales, but it's so true. I mean, many times it, it feels like, like physically, physiologically feels like, you know, somebody's going to launch across the table and, you know, stab you in the jugular. Your heart's racing. You have a ton of anxiety. And, and being able to, you know, breathe your way through that or mentally rehearse, all of that is absolutely a trait that, you know, all the top sellers possess, you know, it's, we, we, regardless of where we are, we're all still, you know, afraid. It's just the gradation of it. Like, are we very afraid? Are we not afraid? And I think that to, to conquer that is, you know, massive preparedness, lots of practice, and then just acknowledging the fact that, okay, you know, my vocabulary, let me just swap out some words. Um, the brain, and I went to a conference here recently and, and it was, it was awesome. And a lot of neuro, um, neuroscience in it and the brain, I don't know if this is absolutely true or not, but this is what the guy said on stage and there was 10,000 people there, but it doesn't know the difference. So if you put a brain under a scan, it doesn't know the difference between anxiety 
and excitement. Like the brain is firing kind of in the same regions. So if you can translate those words that, okay, yeah, man, I'm anxious, I'm nervous, to uh, it was nervous and excitement, that's what it was. Uh, transfer the words nervous and excited, then you can, okay, what am I excited about? And you can kind of amp yourself up to get into these meetings or get into these prospects because sales is, I mean, it is, it's not for, you know, the weak heart, right? I mean, it is something that takes, you know, a pachyderm and it takes tough skin and it takes a lot of rejection. Um, And then preparedness also takes a lot of discipline. You have to, you have to know your product. You have to know who your prospects are. You have to know what the right account is, the right person inside of the account, what to say, what not to say, what to listen for. So there's a lot of stuff that's brewing there that can, you know, throw off any A player, you know, if you're not mentally tough and fear is just one of those components and acknowledging the fact, okay, yeah, this is going to be a little bit, it's going to be, it's going to be tough to get through, but we're going to get through it. Yeah. I can still remember very distinctly that first inside sales job I had staring at the account list, looking at the phone numbers, looking at the companies like, Oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? Cause I, Bobby and I talk right. about this a lot on the show. I'm, I'm, I tend to be a more introverted person. So for me, it's like, it's sink or swim time. Like you got that list, like it's time to make it happen, but it, it's uh, it can be a nerve wracking thing. So Gabe, did you, you spent, you said eight or nine years at Dell. Was that your first, was your first role in sales? Um, or what, what did you do first? How did you get into sales? Yeah. So, um, great question. So, I actually went to I actually went to college for for music, and so I, I I got a scholarship to play drums, jazz drums actually, and it was um and this is actually dating me, but it was in the early '90s, and it was a terrible time for a teenager to be stuck in jazz drumming lesson because grunge was coming out. Now all my favorite bands were um, really kind of blowing up. The Seattle scene was going on, so that was it for me. I got a two-year scholarship. It fed into a, a music school up in Texas, uh, University of North Texas, and after my scholarship. I'm at the community college expired. I was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to go on tour with my band. It's going to be in a, be in a rock band. And, uh, that didn't pan out. So there was a company called GT mobile net hiring. And this is back when you installed cell phones into cars and then, you know, had to program mobile devices. And so I was a technician actually, and, um, didn't know anything about sales really. And there was a, uh, a large law firm, Vincent and Elkins in, in Houston. And this lady was just, I mean, she was extremely angry about her bill. And so I was, I think I was 20, 21, 22 at the time. And, you know, she, she walked outside, she was smoking a cigarette and I, and I just essentially just talked to her about her bill and why it's priced that way. And she's an attorney and she can charge it back and this and that. And, that. and a guy named Frank Graham, was vice president of sales. And now this is like old school sales force where you had an you know, executive assistant, you had your own office, you know, you wore a suit and tie every single day. And all of those guys were in their forties and girls in their forties, there's a staff of about 12 of them. And so he said, Hey, I'm going to put you in the sales department. And I was a technician. I was like, there's no, no, I don't think I can do that. And he was like, well, go through, go through sales training. It's Monday through Friday sales training. Um, and after you know, that following Monday, you know, show up and we'll get you assigned. But if you don't want to do it, we'll hold your job um, for a month. We'll hold your technician job. But, I, you know, I, I see something in you, et cetera, et cetera. And so that was it. There was, I mean, I got in that Monday morning and um, I was the first one at the office. I was used to getting there early because usually our, you know, our technician calls were 
started at about 7.15 a.m. And, you know, the other guys and girls didn't show up until, you know, 9.30, 10 o'clock. And I worked downtown Houston, so I caught some patterns that if you work downtown, you probably don't live downtown. Um, and you want to get there, you know, want to get in and out before you have to go to your actual job. So I rocketed to the to the top in my first month. First month, I was I was already lapping all of all of the other um, sellers in the office, and they weren't they were <laughs> they weren't very happy about it. You know, there was there was marks on my car and stuff, and I just realized that if I got there early and stayed a little bit later, because these guys, you know, none of them lived right around the downtown area, so they would leave, um, you know, they'd leave at three thirty four o'clock. And I would stay till 5:36 because you know we didn't close until seven or until the last customer left. And I lived, you know, in Montrose Westheimer area, so I'm right around the corner. So it was easy for me to get sales when nobody else was there. And then I had to kind of learn the actual sales profession as it got more, you know, as they started to catch on, and they started, you know, showing up the same time I was showing up and leaving the same time. And as it got more competitive, I had to you know, edged them out in certain areas. So that was kind of my first competitive sales. It was a very small office downtown Houston. And another thing too, they would, they would go out on sales calls. They would go and deliver the phone. And I was like, why are you doing that? It's, I mean, Houston traffic and, you know, some of it was to areas of downtown that it would take them hour and a half round trip. It's like, you know, I mean, we're here, we can hotshot it. We can do a bunch of different things. So it was just, for me, it wasn't like actual technical sales where, they did send us through Brian Tracy training and Tony Robbins stuff and a lot of that stuff. And a lot of that was extremely valuable, but for me, it was just kind of creating efficiencies. And if they walk through our door, 99% of the time, we're going to close them 99% of the time. Cause it's hard to park. You know, they're not coming here to casually browse. And so I started picking up on this stuff at a very young age. And, um, that was my, my first kind of foray into like pressure, competitive sales, and, and these products were, I mean, they were costly. I mean, some of these contracts, four or 500 bucks a month, each month, you know, back, back then it was a lot. So that's another thing too. It wasn't cheap. So as soon as they walked in, I realized, okay, it's not cheap. It's hard to get here. Um, they just need explanation of how the programs work. And then I'm signing them up. And as fast as they would come in, as fast as I would sign them up. And these other guys were, and girls were long sales cycles, very gimmicky type of stuff. Like man, it's unnecessary. So that was kind of my first like adventure into sales, and then and I moved to moved to um moved to Austin in '99 and and did the inside sales role at Dell. So you mentioned drumming. Um, Obviously, that's one of your hobbies. Maybe other hobbies come into play here, but but how does your hobbies and things you like to do outside of work translate and and help you with your work ethic and goals around work? Uh, it's a good question. Um, drums are, there's two notes on drums. You, you, you hit or you don't hit. I mean, you can, how hard you hit, when you hit, where you hit, all that other stuff, but it's just, you hit and you don't hit. And so drums takes, it takes practice. It's called rudiments, you know, patterns. So it takes a lot of practice and that's the difference between what we call just jamming. You know, I, I, I have a drum set in a home studio and when I walk up there, I have to make this very conscious, deliberate um, effort to practice, not just sit back, put on the music and jam out for two hours because that's not practicing. And practicing is uncomfortable when you're playing the drums because you have four limbs that are moving in you know, different places at different times, trying to keep the time. And so it's a muscle memory thing. 
And so as it translates to sales, there's a point, I don't know it scientifically, biologically, physiologically, but something happens and I've been playing long enough where it goes from a focused effort where I'm sending a signal from my brain to my arms, to my feet, to do a certain thing in a certain way. It's frustrating, right? And you have to fight through that frustration. But there's something that just clicks where it just becomes effortless. So that muscle memory kicks in. And you have to kind of embrace the fact that you're not going to be very good at this at first when you're practicing a new concept or a new pattern on the drums. You have to know and acknowledge and be nice to yourself that, all right, I'm, this is not going to sound the way I want it to sound right off the bat. It, you know, it's old cliche stuff, right? If it's easy, everybody could do it. This pattern is very difficult and it's going to require lots of practice. I don't know if I should be saying this or not, but I have drumsticks in my car and I'll practice, you know, in traffic on my, my steering wheel, you know, to get the pattern. I've become obsessed about it. You know, I want to get this down. For now, I mean, I'm not a paid gig. I just do it because I love the accomplishment of get, getting through it. And as it translates to sales, it's the same way. You know, for the new sellers out there, it's, you're going to be terrible at it. You, you, you have to know that. There's, you know, there, there are some natural things that come with sellers, you know, people who, don't, who are not very shy, people who can talk in front of other people, that, you know, that, those natural tendencies. But outside of that, like, it's going to be tough. You're not going to be amazing at it right away. You know, and in sales and how it translates to my work ethic, it's just to know the fact that it's going to take a while to get good and you have to just endure through it. What do you think the difference is between a perennial achiever someone who knocks their number down year after year after year, and then maybe that one or two hit achiever, somebody who uh, we talk about luck sometimes, but, but can't repeat their success. Uh, well, I, you know, I think you just said it. I think the one, one or two time and I've seen this, um, I think what happens is when luck strikes early, it's mistaken for some form of skill. And there's, there's almost a delusion, right? Um, when I started at SHI as you know, a corporate account executive in the field with really no peers around me, I didn't know what good looked like. Um, I didn't know what luck looked like. And I can't tell you how much of a blessing that was because I wasn't able to look to my right or my left to see Am I doing better than the next person? Am I not doing better than the next person? It was just pure endurance, right? And I, I say that word a lot because that's what it is. And that, you know, the, the top sellers who, who maintain that build habits of kind of breaking through some of the challenges that come with your everyday um, sales. So to answer your question directly, I think it's planting seeds and doing it the right way, right? And maybe that is making 50 calls a day, even though you're not seeing any of the, the fruit come from the seeds that you're planting. Right. Um, I read in a book, I think it was John Asraf's book. It's called the answer. Um, I think it was that book anyway, but he talks about when you're planting seeds, you got to make sure it's the right soil and, and the right conditions and all that stuff is a given. And you have to let the process kind of sit in. You've got to know that you planted the right seed in the right soil and the right temperature and the right climate and the right sunlight and the right water. And many people, this is your one and two hit, one, hitters, will go back, dig the seed up a month later and go, is it working? See, it's not working. And then they'll get lucky, 
having jacked up the process and then they're okay, well, all of this stuff. And what, what that is, is like, instead of making 50 calls, maybe they make five. Um, instead of waking up and getting their, their day started at nine o'clock or at eight o'clock and they get started at nine, nine thirty, Right. And it's not really putting in the effort that is going to get you to that top. And when people get lucky, there's a tendency to overshadow the luck with ego and the ego will come in and uh, start kind of convincing you that, yeah, you're good. You deserve this. This is, you know, this is what happens. This is why we put in quote unquote the work and not being able to repeat it. It's not really knowing how you got there. Right. Right place, right time. Well, they didn't know it was the right place and they didn't know what time it was when they got lucky. So they can't duplicate that process and to stick with it, you know, through the, the good and bad, um, that's what the, your, your top achievers, your top sellers just know that. And, you know, there, you know, I mean, I don't know if you were still there, Bobby, and, and buying at Microsoft in Houston when, when the oil took a downturn. I mean, it was, it was challenging. And there were some strong sellers at my former organization that just endured it. They just knew, hey, this is what it's going to take. We have to pivot and we have to keep going after it. And there's one female in, in particular that kind of rose through the ashes and, and just dominated. She just kept doing the work. She just kept doing it. Yeah. You know, no woe is me, no victimhood. No, I can't believe this is happening. I mean, there's a little bit of sadness there. There's a little bit of emotion, but it's like, all right, I got to wake up and I got to just get after it. And I think that's the difference um, that you're going to see in those, those two types of people that you explained. One thing that we've talked about a lot on the show is um, being an expert. And you know, no matter where it is you're working, whether you're selling um, a vendor's product or a group of vendor's products or represent the product that your company manufactures. We talk about being a, an expert there. How do you, you've worked uh, both for a vendor and for a company that sold multiple products. How, um, what process do you go through to kind of stay up and, and make sure that you kind of stay on top of your game in terms of the product sets and differentiating yourself against your competitors? Well, you're right. And, you know, it's a two very different types coming from, you know, Dell and then into the reseller world at Dell, yep. we sold Dell, right. And the reseller world, we, we sold anything. It was a, a bit refreshing to be able to sell anything, but it was equally as challenging because, well, what do you sell? Um, you know, I mentioned that I, I never worked a field position at Dell. I went into the field a few times, but it wasn't my primary responsibility. And one of the, the gifts that I was given is being an inside sales for, for, you know, close to nine years is, I mean, every morning you, you park your car, you grab your coffee, you walk inside, you put on a headset and that's what you do for, you know, eight to nine hours. And the first portion of that, it was like, man, this is a bummer, blah, blah, blah. I'd love to be out in the field. But, you know, coming out of that, really the biggest skill is, that I gained from that was listening because I wasn't able to see the body language. I wasn't able to see any kind of, I, all I could hear is like voice inflections. And, I, and then when I became a manager, and I managed up to 15 people at once, my smallest team, I think, was nine. So part of our responsibility was to, you know, kind of hijack in and listen, and listen to, and we did it from our desks, right? So we didn't do it side by side. So I had to listen to my seller, and then I had to listen to the customer, and I had to give instructions. So it was this massive listening exercise for the better part of a decade. So how I became diversified when I moved into the reseller world was really truly listening, staying in front and listening to the customers. What are they saying? What, are the, what am I hearing? What am I reading? And it comes in waves. In our industry, it comes in waves, regardless of what it is, right? Unified communication of service, SD-WAN, hyperconverged, whatever that is, you start hearing about it all over the place. 
And that's where I decide to kind of dig in. That really there is just kind of taken in the training as boring as it sounds, taking in yeah. paying attention to the training. And then you start to see it all over the place. And then now you're, you know, you're properly trained to answer these types of questions and scenarios. And so are there, you talked about uh, things that you're reading. Are there external resources that you consistently still use no, no matter what the role is? Are there external, uh, whether it's news or press or books, what, what kind of things do you use to kind of uh, stay up on things externally? Yeah, you know, I, it, it might seem might seem obvious, but like what's becoming like just a, a type of information is LinkedIn, man. LinkedIn is doing a fantastic job of producing relevant content. You know, it is it is the Facebook for business people. The algorithms are starting to shape up now. So if I click on certain things, man, I, I get I get articles that are very relevant. Um, that's my primary resource. I, I'm on LinkedIn more than I'm on any anything else. Um, as far as books, there is a, an author out there. His name is, I'm going to get it wrong, Pat Bowden. And his book is called Get in the Boat. Have you heard of this one? No, I have not. It's very specific to technology sellers. And uh, I, would, I would highly recommend it because he, um, he walks through the different levels of the customer set. And he tells us really, really, I'm going to botch it, so I apologize, Pat. But um, he talks about, when you're talking to managers and system administrators, it's like, hey, we need to find the, the, the best aluminum. We, I mean, it's just got to be the absolute best aluminum. Like, and then, you know, most average salespeople will go out there and just start looking for, okay, they need best aluminum. They need best aluminum. You get up to the director level, and the director level is like, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of task my guys to find the best aluminum. I just, you know, we're, we're building the most uh, ergonomic rocket, the fastest rocket that we can that we can, uh, we can build. It's like, Oh, okay, cool. Let me go out there and figure out what designs I, how can I help them get to their rocket? And then you get up to the CIO level and the VP level. And they're like, Oh, rockets They're they're building rockets. Cool. I just task them with a mission to Mars. So it's like at the different levels, he teaches you how to sell to who and what to pay attention to. So you're not getting chased down this rabbit hole because you know, that, that, you know, transactional type of mentality is, well, we have to find this aluminum, this aluminum, but really knowing what the whole mission is, you can kind of tie it all in together. Who did a great job about that? Great. We'll put that book in the show notes as well. Um, how do you manage life, work-life balance? You know, you got, you mentioned kids and you got hobbies and you got a job that demands a lot. How do you handle your work-life balance? Um, I do like to travel a lot. I mean, I, I have one in college and a senior. So I have two daughters, um, just got the daughter out to, to college a couple of weeks ago. So there's, um, there's, there's the majority of my weekends are probably going to be, you know, either having her back here or me going up there. Um, but you know, in the interim, like I said, I play a lot of music. Um, I have a home studio, so it's, it's very convenient for me to walk upstairs and just hop in there for an hour, hour and a half. And I, you know, catching a weekend trip is, is something that I, I really like doing. I like doing it spontaneously. You know, if, have a pretty good meeting on a Friday and look down and, you know, Southwest is running a, a special to get to New Orleans and I'll do a weekend trip to, to New Orleans, um, stuff like that. But really truly it is, you know, planning out the quality, not necessarily quantity of time. Gotcha. All right. We, every, every time we do an interview, we do a little segment of rapid fire questions. Normally we alternate these. So I'll take the first one uh, and your answer doesn't have to be, too rapid, but uh, short segments here. What's the biggest weakness you see over and over 
with tech sellers? I think, well, with tech sellers and sellers in general, it would just be excuses. You know, just your, your run-of-the-mill excuses. This account doesn't have any money. Um, you know, just and fill in, the, fill in their, their brain with things that may not necessarily be true um, just to prevent them from moving forward. What's one thing you wish uh, tech sellers would do more of? Practice. Nice. What's one thing you wish they would do less of? Uh, give up. Yeah. Yep. It, it, yeah. So just to expand on that, you know, shameless plug for the book. I mean, I think it's chapter six. Thomas Edison said that, you know, many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. And a lot of sellers, I mean, even if you're just a year away, you're only 365 days away. You know, if you're just two or three months away, they just don't give up. Just keep at it. The uh, the pit of despair is real. And uh, anybody that's been selling in technology knows that there are ebbs and flows to it. So uh, I love that one. What's uh, what's one attributes that you admire most? You've had a chance to work alongside a lot of salespeople. What what attribute do you like to see the most? As it pertains to tech sellers, it's not gimmicky. I mean, these are just tried. Yeah. These are just you know salt of the earth people. Just like um, it's a you know, and in the spirit of rapid response, tech sellers are not gimmicky. Gotcha. What's the favorite resource you like to share with tech sellers? And if it's your new book, feel free. Uh, but if it's not that, what is your favorite resource? Yeah, I, I, I mentioned it earlier. It's LinkedIn. I mean, it's become my favorite resource. It is. If you dig in and, and, and spend some time on it, and um, it is it is became becoming a, a lead generation um, engine for me in my role. Um, it has become a you know titan of information as far as relative technology, what's what's hot, what's not. Um, a lot of company information, and just you know the traditional LinkedIn information. So it's it's become my my single favorite resource for sure. I think it's underutilized, matter of fact. Yeah, and and so let's go back to something Bobby mentioned at the kickoff of the show, Gabe. Um, let's talk about the book. So, Bridge of Fire is the name. Um, what? What inspired you to write it, and why don't you share with the listeners what it's about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what inspired me to write it was I wrote a LinkedIn article, um, and I believe it was December. And then somebody reached out to me and, and you know, just kind of on a private message and said, look, I really found a lot of value in this. I think that you should you know, put a few more chapters together. And, and he's written a lot of books, and he's like, I can help mentor you through writing a book. Have you ever thought about writing a book? And I'd never really truly thought about writing a book because I didn't think that I could. And it's very operative if you break down that sentence. I didn't think that I could. And, and what I did is I found a coach. And growing up, I always played sports and I played music and I had all different types of coaches. Baseball, you know, it's like I had a running coach, a batting coach, a wooden pitching coach. But I think that, you know, once we enter into our professional life, we forget how many coaches we've had throughout our lives um, that got us to the next level. And um, I found a coach to help me write this book, um, to, so I can one to many, some of the wonderful coaching that I've received in my sales career. So it's a short book. It was originally 310 pages and then John, you know, um, cut it down to about 130. He's like, bro, this is for salespeople. They're not gonna, <laughs> you can't write a novel here. We got to get short, very punchy, 
very, very punchy chapters. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's sales secrets from the super successful. So it's not just the, I mean, there's, I don't think there's a, there's any information about me specifically in there outside of the introduction and the forward. Um, but it's just collected sales, um, techniques and thought processes and mindsets and efficiencies and from all of my you know favorite top sellers that I've, I've had a lot of experience with over the past couple of decades. And, you know, the subtitle is getting the average salesperson to be a top seller. And, you know, at, at the very beginning, it's like, we can't sensationalize the job. It's, it's not a hard job, right? We talk, we type and we drive. That's it. Right. We're not shoveling asphalt in 110 degree heat, right? That's hard. That's very, very hard. And so what the book is designed to do is help you get out of that kind of, I've tried everything. And this is, you know, this is assuming that you're in sales and you're not at the top and you want to get there. And maybe you've been there and you've, you've slid back. Maybe you've never been there. This is to show you or the reader, you know, how to apply, you know, just daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually techniques to, to get to that next level. And the most important thing, stay there, right? So that's you know, in a nutshell what it's about. Awesome. And we know you got something new coming uh, not too far off in the distance future. What's, what's the next thing for you, Gabe? Yep. So I, I'm designing some sales courses that will be online. Um, it'll, it'll all be dig- digital. It will not be interactive at all. So it's, um, it's going to be an online course. It's under the brand Selling Scared. So you can go to Facebook and, and, and look at Selling Scared? Question mark. And that's the, you know, the brand of the company that me and, me and my marketing team have put together. And one of the products is Bridge of Fire. Um, I have a second book coming out probably before the end of the year called Stellar Seller. Um, but the courses are in development right now. They're being cut up and, and they'll be published probably to the website, um, bridgeoffire.com in mid-September to late September. And those modules are just kind of essentially walking you through some of the chapters, some of the you know, more dense chapters of mindset, um, practice. Uh, there's some tools and systems in there to help stay on track. And um, there's some systems that we kind of deem self-healing, uh, meaning like if you're off in any one of these areas, you can kind of look back and figure out where you're off and then get right back on track. Um, but the most important thing is the practice, teaching you how to practice, um, how to get out of that stinking thinking, how to get out of that, you know, lack mentality, how to get out of that excuse making, I've tried everything mentality, and really start applying the principles that are in the techniques or in the book that have been collected from, you know, very, very, very good sellers over the years. Apply it to your daily and professional life and you know, just sky's the limit. That's great. We'll definitely link to this in the uh, the show notes for the listeners. I guess finally, Gabe, uh, do you want to talk about any, any sort of causes that you're passionate about or, um, well, I guess, and where people can find you online? Absolutely. So um, LinkedIn, it's just Gabe Biondo. Um, uh, also, there's you know www.bridgeoffire.com, and then on Facebook, it's Selling Scared. So, um, as far as the causes, I have a cousin up in uh, up in Jersey that uh, runs a uh, the youth of Malawi, and it's it's essentially there's there's over a million orphaned individuals in in Malawi, Africa, that have uh, been diagnosed with with HIV. So. Um, all donations that go to that help build medical facilities, um, education facilities. On the last campaign, he bought a ton of bikes. And it's really cool to see because it's Youth of Malawi. That's M-A-L-A-W-I. 
um, on Facebook. So you can just search under Youth of Malawi and you'll see them riding bikes and in the books and all the contributions go to the facilities and the legit, the, you know, the structures that are built all come from, you know, uh, from this, from this foundation. So it's, it's an excellent thing. It's something that I've seen him build and um, it's really great seeing, you know, the smiles on the kids' faces and it's pretty powerful. Well, Gabe, we can't thank you enough for joining the show. Anything you want to close with? Any any other things, books, podcasts, anything else you want to share with our listeners? No, I would say that, um, you know, in the spirit of motivation and inspiration, that if you're in the if you're in the struggle, you know, if you're if you're stuck, then we've all been there, and and it's not necessarily unique to even if this is the, you know, this is the fifth job that I've had and it's, I'm stuck again. It's really, truly it's perseverance and endurance and it's getting outside of your mind, find the book, find the coach, find the mentor, whether it's mine or anybody else's John, or whoever is going to help you get through it. Other people have been through this and they've provided you information to say, look, I've been here too. You're not unique. Um, you're probably just going through some emotions, um, some mental stuff that shouldn't be there to get you to where you need to be. And sales is, it's you versus you. As much as we want to make it about the competition, when are you waking up? When are you getting after it? What's your mindset like? And, and if you can start to really dig into that stuff, you can start to loosen up some of the problems that, you're, that you may be encountering to keep you stuck and then get you to that next level. And once you get there, this is what I would encourage everybody. Once you cross that proverbial bridge of fire, it is your job, your duty, your obligation to help others that may be stuck, whether they're direct competitors or not, because, you know, it is the human emotion that you're competing against in sales. Um, and then it's your competitor, but, you know, keep in mind, it is you versus you first. So once you get over that, um, I, I would encourage everybody out there to help those that they see that are kind of stuck, um, stuck in there. Yeah, I would second that, and I know Brian would second it as well, that you should pay it forward, people. That's what we do every week when we publish this podcast. Um, don't be average. Average is the enemy. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week... Average is the enemy.